welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. We are your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah, and this time we are looking at section 5C in the book, Traditional Quaker Christianity, which is talking about speaking during worship, or really discerning whether you should speak in worship. Because uh, often, often uh, I think we default to not speaking, so the, the, the decision to speak uh, needs to be an active one. Um, so, I mean, in, in the book, it kind of had, I just kind of followed the same order that was in the book, um, where it, it talks about how, and I'm sure we've all experienced, well, I'm sure, I'm sure Micah and I have both experienced this, where you're going, am I supposed to say this? Am I not? I don't know. And um, sometimes you decide wrong. And then afterwards, like, I should have, or I shouldn't have said that. Um, to be honest, I've, I've more found myself regretting not saying than saying. And so I've, I've tended to try to be, uh, for myself, uh, try to err on the side of speaking. I don't think that's good advice for everyone. Uh, but for, for me, I think uh, I have a pretty high bar for speaking. And so I think, you know, it's been helpful for me to lower, to lower the bar slightly where like sort of, you know, it's sort of, uh, I was, I was reading an article about, uh, the level of evidence required in different types of cases, both civil and criminal and in criminal cases, it's always, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, mm -hmm. but in civil cases, it can be a preponderance of evidence. Um, I guess, I guess you might say that, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've over time tended to move from, instead of it being beyond a reasonable doubt to a preponderance of evidence for speaking. <laughs> okay. So anybody who's a fan of law and order understands what Micah said. Well, <laughs> just, 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 just to make sure you do understand, um, basically beyond a reasonable doubt means like it's beyond, I mean, I think that's self-explanatory beyond a reasonable doubt that this person was guilty. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> but well, no, I don't think people necessarily know what preponderance of evidence is because I didn't know before I read these articles. Um, preponderance of evidence is uh, basically if more likely than not the person did it, you have to find guilty. Okay. So uh, I guess that's the standard. Like I am, like I'm, I've moved to for myself is, is if after discernment and waiting, if more likely than not, this is a message I'm supposed to deliver. I tend to deliver it. Versus if I'm really, 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 really ninety nine percent sure, at least. Like um, like ninety nine point nine, like beyond okay. a reasonable doubt. Like I'm just so I'm so I'm so overcome by this message. There could be no real doubt. Like mm -hmm. that that's a pretty high bar and, and one that I found especially as I've become more experienced in vocal ministry, the one that I found unhelpful. Okay. Um, so, you know, one of the, one of the things that it says in the book is that we must not be paralyzed by the prospect of speaking. And it gives two questions um, to, to use to figure out, well, to help decide whether to speak. And the first is, um, is the message for me or only myself? <clears throat> And the second, am I supposed to say, is it for this very moment? Mm -hmm. um, and I have heard other ones added to that before, but I can't remember them now because those are the ones that I usually think of. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there, there, are many, there are many tests that you can apply to leadings in general, including the leading to speak, such as, is this morally pure? Is this uh, something that's in keeping with, you know, the teachings of the Bible, is it in keeping with the traditions of right. the Right, we talked about discerning leadings in some past episode. Right, but all, but, but all those, all those sort of tests are things that presumably you're going to be applying in order to answer the question, is this from God? 
mm-hmm. that's the first question. The first question is like, do I do I believe that this is a message from God or just from myself? Right. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a fair point. Um, and, you know, in the book they say if there's any doubt, then you should remain quiet. But obviously you said that you find that you've probably been remaining quiet too much. And so you're trying to... I think, I think that for... Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I actually think that for people, uh, it depends on the situation. Um, and in fact, I would say um, the, the larger the group of people and the less disciplined the group of people the more you should set a higher bar. So if it's like, if you're in a meeting for worship with several hundred people, which does happen occasionally, if you're in a meeting for worship with several hundred people, um, and I've I've been to one of those. Yeah. I mean, I've been to many of them. Uh, you, the bar is higher. Uh, I, I, I forget who said this and maybe many people have said this, but you know, uh, in a meeting, like in, in, in a business meeting, I don't, and I don't mean Quakers in, in, in a meeting in the world for business, for, for discussion, if you speak in that in that meeting, and you're wasting and you're wasting time, you're not just wasting five minutes of time. You're wasting five minutes of every individual's time. So like so like the the uh, and and in a meeting for worship, if you if you get up and give ministry that in fact isn't led by God, you're not just disrupting uh, God's ministry to a few people. You're disrupting God's ministry to a lot of people. And there's only so much time in that meeting for worship for that for those several hundred people to receive God's ministry. And so you, the, the, the greatest danger, the greatest danger with speaking wrongly in ministry is not that you'll say something that, that would be harmful. Um, it's that you will block the people who have the actual message. Okay. So as you were talking, I was thinking of how, I mean, you know, I've, I've been in meetings where there's six people and I've been in uh, meetings where there's two or 300 people. And, um, usually at the meeting I'm the meetings that I've, you know, basically belonged to, not necessarily as a member, but as a regular tender at least have been, um, about 80, 90, hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and, is, which is considered big for Quakers. Yes. That's, that's really big by at least North American Quaker the, standards. The, the biggest, for me personally, the biggest regular, like not a special gathering, but the biggest regular meeting for worship I've ever been to was a friend's meeting of Cambridge where they regularly have about 200 people. And, and at least when, wow. I, when I went there, um, their meeting house was packed. Like they didn't have it. They literally had no space for more people. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's about as big as it gets in unprogrammed meetings um, is for a regular meeting for worship. It was about 200 people. Okay. Mostly they seem to be around 40 people, I would say, um, totally. in North America. In, in Britain, it's more like 15 to 20. <clears throat> well, I mean, it totally depends. Like, you go out to, you go out to the, um, for example, into the Midwest or the Great Plains, and your average size probably is probably something like um, 10 to 20. Right, which is which is about the size it is in Britain. Um, is I, I've been told that 20 and bigger is a big meeting in Britain, mm. whereas in the U.S., 20 is a pretty small meeting, I would say. I would I would figure depends um, depends on where I mean yeah at. it depends again versus urban like but. Where, where where I came to Quakerism uh, in Kansas um, twenty for an unprogrammed meeting twenty is a full size meeting okay. you wouldn't say it's big but it's full sized okay yeah I mean I yeah I would definitely say that twenty is like and, and not twenty is is definitely a meeting and not a worship group well and again when I say twenty I mean on, on a Sunday morning actually. Um, when I well, think, there's always a lot more people who sure. are attached. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, just uh, this is sort of a tangent, but I'm going to go with it. Um, 
in in Kansas, I'm pretty sure that uh, there. I don't. I don't think. I could be wrong. And people from Kansas, if you're listening, should write in and tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, in Kansas, I don't think there's any meeting, any unprogrammed meeting right now that has uh, certainly doesn't have more than 20 people on a Sunday morning. And I think I think maybe none of them have that many. Um, especially if you exclude Penn Valley friends, I'll give a shout out who are in Kansas City. They're technically in Missouri. I know that they are bigger than 20 on a Sunday morning, uh, but I, in Kansas, in the state of Kansas, I'm not sure that there's actually a meeting that regularly has tw- like 20 or more people on a Sunday morning. Okay. So backing up two tangents, I was going to say that um, generally in meetings that are like under 10 people, mm-hmm. it's really common to go not just weeks, <clears throat> but even months, yeah. not having there be any messages given during yeah. worship. Yeah. Um, whereas in the larger meetings that have been what I've mostly attended, the 70 to to a hundred people range. Um, it's common to have, I'd say between four and six messages each week. And Mm -hmm. so just by dint of the fact that you have more people, like there are more antennae through which, you know, a message could be received. And so having that higher bar with more people, I think that makes sense because there's a lot there. There are then more possible mess like there are more people there who can minister and more possible messages to come up um through those through those potential ministers Mm -hmm. and and so um if they all had a lower bar then you could end up with what we sometimes call a popcorn meeting where people are popping up one after another with like, you know, only a couple minutes in between and not really getting a lot of time to settle back into the spirit um, in between messages and to absorb them and, you know, take them in really. Yeah. I think, I think you just articulated it really well that um, uh, I guess I, I, that, that lends context to what I was saying earlier, which is, uh, uh, my bar has moved from, as I was as I was putting it in technical legal jargon, from a beyond reasonable doubt to a preponderance of evidence. For me, that's that now that I think about it, now that McKenzie's points out, that has been happening in a context where I used to spend a lot more time in larger groups uh, where ministry was happening, and more recently I've been in much smaller groups. And so, in smaller groups, in my experience, uh, a silent, a totally silent meeting is not necessarily a bad thing. In my experience, silent meeting week after week is a bad thing. Uh, right. And, and I think it's I think it's a negative thing if, or at least, I mean, I, I agree with you. I guess I can't necessarily say right because it's not objective. But um, my feeling is that if, if a newcomer comes to meeting and they keep coming to meeting week after week and it's been two or three months and they still haven't actually heard anybody talk about their faith, mm-hmm. like that's that's a bad thing they're not they're not i'd be concerned that they're not getting anything from that that they're not um learning it i guess learning um anything and and you know you have having like a good weekly like religious ed um system going on would certainly help the uh help that help the newcomer not just be like I don't know. I keep showing up and there's all this quiet and I have no idea what's going on right. feeling like you've got to have some kind of newcomer class or have preferably ongoing at all religious ed every week. And in, in, in my, and again, this is, this is sort of anecdotal. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know to what extent like surveys or, or like actual like evidence based stuff has been done to determine this. But in my experience and observation, um, 
a, a, a meeting that normally has solid vocal ministry that is totally silent one Sunday, that's typically a healthy thing. That's typically mm-hmm. like God is really ministering to the congregation and we don't need words. Mm-hmm. But a meeting that doesn't typically have vocal ministry and, and doesn't typically like have much activity in that way and is typically totally silent, that typically to me says in a very unhealthy meeting that is actually not uh, being ministered to and is not gathered. Well, and I would have the concern that if you go long enough without any vocal ministry and with having new people show up and not like that, that then there's that then they're being socialized into nobody ever speaks or mm-hmm. that then there isn't any um, modeling of what things are appropriate or inappropriate for ministry because they haven't heard any examples. Right. Yeah. And I mean that historically that is what happened during the quietest period was that over time vocal ministry became more and more rare. And the elders became more and more strict about what they considered appropriate vocal ministry. Uh, that eventually, um, it became like by by the by the late 1800s when like the revivalist movement came in and really like set everything on fire and not always. 1700s. 1800s, late 1800s. Okay. When the revivalist when the revivalist meetings came in and set everything on fire, not necessarily in a good way. Um, the context for that was total was in general totally silent meetings governed by elders who really cracked down on anyone who was giving inappropriate ministry. So, and an expectation that like to speak was just an extraordinary thing rather than something that any of us could be called to. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, so one of the things it talks about in the book is that uh, ways, well, okay. It talks about how um, sometimes you know that you're supposed to speak, but you don't know what you're going to say. So you stand up and you wait for the words to, to come. Um, and sometimes, um, you've got a full message and you stand up and share it. Um, I know I've only spoken in a meeting, like, I don't know, four or five times. Um, but two times ago, I, I just got four words and that was it. And I knew that was the entire message. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think on, on a previous episode, you said that sometimes, um, you have, you get a few words at a time. Yeah. So, uh, that that's definitely been my experience. I, I feel like I've exp- I mean I've experienced delivering vocal ministry in a variety of ways. There have been occasions when I've known I had some like that God had given me something to say or or to deliver uh, because it's not always words. Sometimes it's singing, uh, and I've, I've stood up not knowing what was about to come out um, and then discovered it in the standing. Um, but often often I will uh, often I'll have a sense that uh, <laughs> we talk a lot about having a sense of things. I'll have a sense. Uh, of, of a message um, and by a sense of a message I mean that words haven't been attached to it yet but I have almost a visualization of it like an, like an outline like when you're doing like a presentation type of thing? not exactly no it's more like it's more like it's more like feeling a terrain but there, but like you haven't put words to it um, but you feel it or like you just feel the contours of it but like there aren't words associated with it yet um, so sometimes and that would be the situation in which I might stand up to speak without knowing what I'm going to say. In the technical sense, I don't know what I'm going to say in the sense that I don't know the words that are going to be associated, but I do have a sense of a message, if that makes sense. But like, it's not in a, it's not in a, it's not in a, 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 a word space yet. Um, other times I will actually have like, um, fragments come to me and, and it's almost, almost like someone started passing me like pieces of paper with like a couple sentences written on them. And there were several of them and they came to me at different times and they start se- seeming like they fit together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I might stand up knowing 
having a pretty good sense of like what my first sentence might be. Um, but then I might, you know, at, after I speak that first sentence, I might have a sense of what the next words are. Keep going. Sometimes, you know, might stop in mid sentence and wait for the rest of the sentence and things like that. Which again, as we've as we've discussed before in previous episodes, leads to a fairly distinctive style of speaking that uh, Quakers fall into, even when we're not inspired secretly. <laughs> uh, but so, uh, and occasionally, I don't want to leave this out. Occasionally, there are times when like there's a full blown message that like I know exactly what I'm going to say, uh, and this is this is, for for me in the context of, of of the silent meeting, this is more rare. For me, although I think it's less rare for others, and uh, and I think that very experienced vocal ministers in the past probably had a very good idea of what they were about to say at length. Um, yeah, we've mentioned before that uh, vocal ministers in the past um, sometimes had tendencies to minister for forty-five minutes or an hour, just keeping going. And not so much a tendency as an expectation. I mean, um, it was like as we've discussed in, in the past, it was very normal for very long sermons to be preached um, or multiple sermons that were very lengthy to be preached in a meeting for worship because the meetings for worship were longer and there was an expectation that um, there would be extended teaching going on. I'm just going to cut in during editing to note that I just learned that um, Marlboro Friends Meeting, which is in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia, is hosting an extended meeting for worship on Saturday, May 5th. It's going to be three hours long. This is this meeting is one that is ordinarily very small, but um, when they host these sorts of events, there tend to be, I'd say something like 20, 30, 40 people there. Um, and so, you know, maybe you might want to make a visit if you're on the East Coast of the U.S. So yeah, like, I feel like, I feel like the, the experience uh, of vocal ministry is not just one thing. Um, I think, you know, I, I think there's a tendency, um, there's a tendency for people who are new to want a set of rules that they can follow. And if I follow these set of rules, I'll know that I'll know that I'm doing it right. And I think that's appropriate for new people. It's good to have some rules and touchstones to know, know that you're sort of in the ballpark. Um, but the reality is once you become more experienced in vocal ministry, um, and when I say experience in vocal ministry, I really mean in discernment of speaking God's word. So this can apply to anyone, whether you've ever been to a Quaker meeting or not. Like, just knowing that you're speaking the words of God, which happens outside of meeting for worship, too. Um, this this process, uh, at the beginning, it's good to have these touchstones to know that you're serving the right ballpark. But as you become more experienced, um, there's not one right way. Uh, and, they're, you know, one of the things that a lot of people point to is, like, knowing that you uh, have, a, have a legitimate message from God is this like this sense of uh, like sort of like heart palpitations uh, and 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 sort of shaking a little bit? But, I do that. Yeah, and so that's point, that's often pointed to like 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 sort of a, like a red flag, like not a red flag because red flag is a bad thing, but like uh, <laughs> a good red flag that 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 this is like this is certainly something from God. And my and my experience flag. and in my experience a green flag, and and in my experience um, this is often something to pay attention to. But there have been times when I've gotten those that sense of like heart palpitations and 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 and, and trembling, and then it passed, and I didn't feel. And in the aftermath, I didn't feel like I necessarily shouldn't have. I necessarily should have spoken. Um, and there have been times when I have not had. I'm plenty of times when I have not had any of those physical symptoms, but have just had a sense of like this 
is what God wants me to do, and so I do it. So I think I think as as you become more experienced in discernment, um, there's less of a reliance on a particular formula, and more of a more of a dependence on um, on God acting through a variety of situations and and phenomena and experience. I think that's the case with a lot of things because there's there's like a saying about. Um that you need to know the rules in order to break them, right? Like, you'll see that with writing, too, where it's like, oh, you shouldn't start a sentence, you shouldn't start multiple sentences in a row with the same word. Mm. Well, except that there's also a technique where, for emphasis, you start multiple sentences in a row with the same right. same word or phrasing. Right. Um, and it's just a different effect, but... Um, a, a, part of, a part of the problem uh, in, in Quakerism, uh, and it's probably been a problem for a very long time, is that there's so little explicit instruction uh, that uh, that people are very very hungry and they're looking they're looking for these things, uh, but 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 most of us don't even get the chance to uh, get experienced enough in this uh, to begin breaking the rules. We start by breaking the rules, <laughs> um, and so I think I think advice I would give I would give to to young ministers, um, and by young I mean inexperienced, by people who are who are young in the ministry is um, try following the rules for a while. Find out what the rules are. And we discuss what these, rule, what these rules are on this podcast. So if you've been listening, I think you have some idea of what the rules are. Try following the rules for a while. And then as you gain more experience, you'll have, you'll have the basis to know, you know, I think this situation feels a little bit different. And I know what the rules are, but, but, but this, one, this one seems like it needs to be bent right now. Um, so... Reversing this a little bit, the next part in the book talks about listening to the messages. And so they, they make points about how um, sometimes you'll hear a message and it just doesn't speak to you. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't for you. Maybe it was for the guy sitting next to you, right? Or they could have been totally wrong. I mean, there's that. But <laughs> but charitably, yes. it might have been for the person next to you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and and charity is, is a Christian virtue. Mm. <laughs> um. It says that uh, in, in those events, we should not analyze or dissect it afterwards. Um, yeah, that's a huge challenge. That, that's very, very difficult. Um, it says that... I, th- I, th- I think the biggest Quaker sport is dissecting vocal ministry after the meeting for worship. <laughs> like, that's, like, like that, that's bigger than gossip. It's like a form <laughs> of spiritual gossip. Like, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll confess I've been guilty of this plenty. And like it, fe- it feels, it fe- when you do it, when I do it, it feels like it's okay because it's, it's spiritual and I'm practicing my discernment by talking about like whether or not this, this or that ministry was good or not. But the reality is, is like, honestly, unless, unless you're having such a conversation, uh, in the context of, um, a meeting of, of elders, uh, who are actually like considering how they need to nurture these ministers. And maybe you're one of those people and it's appropriate. Um, but unless, unless you were having conversations about other people's vocal ministry from, from the perspective of looking to nurture the vocal ministry in your meeting, um, or, or in your community, uh, then it's probably an inappropriate, it's, it's probably inappropriate, it's probably too strong a word. It's probably an unhelpful conversation. Like, so you, so, so you think this person spoke wrongly, what are you going to do about it? Like, what difference does it make for you to talk about that? Um, so probably the best response, uh, as Mackenzie's already said, to vocal ministry that seems wrong, 
Um, if you are not, if I mean, including if you're in a position of leadership and eldership in the meeting, um, but even uh, whether you are or not, prayer, praying for the person. If you think if you think they're terribly led astray, pray for them. Pray for them right then. Pray that God would, as they are speaking these words that seem wrong to you, pray that they would find the right ones and that God would guide them rightly. Uh, and you might you might be surprised by what happens. Um, it also notes that sometimes what somebody says will either convict or comfort you. Mm. Um, and um, as you can guess from the word convict and the connotations it has, that means that it makes you really uncomfortable because you know you screwed something up before. Um, and that's something to watch for too. Is uh, if 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 the ministry. There's a difference, and it's sometimes hard to know the difference, but there's a difference between ministry feeling wrong, as in, like, this is not what God's saying, and then there's the feeling of, this is wrong. I feel bad because of what this person's saying. And the second, the latter feeling, is very important to listen to, because a major purpose of vocal ministry is, as Mackenzie has just said, to convict and to show us our darkness and our sin. So if the vocal ministry is making you feel... Uh, like it, you need to change. Like you need to change, that's a very good sign about the vocal ministry. That, that's a very good sign that it's from God, and you should listen. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.